Head to the Chase presents Skip to the Lou, Lacey Lou interviews and reviews. In this episode, I am welcomed by James Duvall, which you are about to hear um, our previous conversations. It was such a great honor to get to interview him and talk, dive really into Donnie Darko and talk about his upcoming film, Beast Mode. So give it a listen. Oh, so much better. I'm so, so, so very sorry for yesterday. Uh, don't even worry about it. No problem at all. I totally understand. Uh, I'm just, uh, with COVID and everything, and my job gets a little crazy. I was supposed to have the day off, and I got cold, and it sucked. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 everything's crazy right now. It really is, but I appreciate you so much for rescheduling and working with me. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Well, it's really an honor. Like you have no idea. Um, I was so excited oh, for this, and I and I thought I was gonna like I thought I blew the opportunity. I was like like Donnie Darko is literally one of my favorite movies. If not, it's like interchangeable with Scream. So this is <laughs> this is a huge deal for me. That's so wonderful to hear. You know, I, I'll never get tired of hearing that. I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. I feel very fortunate to have been part of this special movie. Um, yeah, it just, it was the, one of those movies that, um, you know, it was just mind-blowing to me at the time I watched it, and, like, every time I watched it after, it was, like, you notice something you didn't pick up on before, and it, it still to this day, it does that, you know? Um, yeah, Richard Kelly really made something magical. Yeah, um, I mean, with the score and um, the plot points that, yeah, I just, like, I'm totally fangirling, I apologize. <laughs> No, not at all. I mean, to be honest with you, it felt like that while we were making it. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not that we didn't... I mean, we had no idea if it would be a hit or not, but we all loved what we were making. We all thought it felt like something special to us. And then when it came out in the theater, it was kind of a disappointment because nobody really saw it. I mean, it didn't even make half... I think it barely made half a million dollars in two weeks. Oh, wow. So, yeah, in, you know, in an arena where if you don't make a hundred million dollars in a weekend, you failed. We didn't even make a million with our entire box office run, I don't think. 
See, I didn't hear about the movie. It came out, what, 2001, I want to say? And it seemed like a month after 9-11, yeah. Yeah, and um, it was literally the last VHS tape that I've ever purchased. And I... Wow. Yeah, I had just seen it on the <laughs> shelf, and I was like... Um, I was, VHS tapes of it, I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I still... I'm looking at my copy right now. <laughs> um... It was on the shelf, and it had Patrick Swayze in it, and uh, you know he's one of my favorites of all time, and that's what drew. Yeah. And I was just like, "Well, what is Patrick this?" Is, he's another magical soul. Yeah. You know, I gotta say, you know, it's one of those movies where everyone you're working with, you're very excited about. Everybody who's working on the project's very excited about the material, and you know, it was what was really kind of incredible about it was not only you know did it come from a first-time director, writer, director, you know, Richard Kelly, but first feature but the script was incredible and his directing was you could never tell he was a first time director at least it didn't feel like that to me right he was on par with all the best that i ever worked with like that ending scene with you know uh where you know uh, mad world is playing and you know everybody's like waking up or laying in bed and you know you're holding days before yeah and before everything happened. Yeah. The idea that we know something happened even though we've all been flung backwards in time. Right. And you're holding your eye and it's just like, you can just feel that, you know, ah, I'm getting chills. <laughs> yeah, holding my eye while that because it goes over the sketch, which I thought, because that was one of the things we filmed as a pickup at the very ending because that wasn't in the original script for that piece of Frank anyway. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to show him 28 days before in the regular normal universe designing so that's the sketch of the mask and he's still making it this is like he's got the idea for the halloween costume and then something hits him you know and he touches his eye like that i he knows something happened what it was is that coupled with everything else you know like we see mrs pomeroy and uh mr Palmeroff, uh the doctor you know the other teacher mm-hmm. you no know, wiley and drew barrymore's characters in bed together and so they've obviously been having an affair this whole time Right. We didn't know. <laughs> you know so, and, but they even wake up from their first feeling like something happened, just happened to them. Not really kind of realize, but on a very feeling and on a very subconscious level that their lives were completely tugged in a completely separate dimension or universe that coexists as a parallel universe with this one. Yeah, it's such a deep movie, and like it's almost like it's deja vu, but obviously it's not. <laughs> Yeah, I just... Uh. Yeah, and that's what makes it kind of super interesting. It's deja vu, but it's not. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, in a way, it hasn't happened to them in this universe. It just happened to them in another universe. And it was so powerful, they could build reverberations carry over into this universe. Now, did you ever watch the sequel? Honestly, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I I couldn't do it. <laughs> um, like, because there's just some films that are just so close to you. Uh, you know, Donnie Darko is obviously one of them, and so I, I just haven't brought myself to it because I just I just have a feeling it's not the same. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I didn't I didn't watch it. You know, I know Rich didn't want Rich Kelly didn't want it to be made. It was made without his mm-hmm. consent, and he actually tried to sue and stop it. He couldn't. Oh wow. You know, yeah. So, you know, I've always been faithful to the people that have given me a chance and the artists I've worked with and Rich Kelly's certainly one of them and I'm very loyal to him. And that, maybe that's definitely part of the reason. Yeah. I think that, or definitely maybe, I really like that Oasis help, but definitely maybe <laughs> part of the reason I haven't watched it yet because I have to say on the other side of things, I have a, friend, a couple of friends who acted in it and I know the director as well and they're nice people. You know, and for them, they're just, 
for them it was a chance to make something cool or try to make something cool and they're you know everyone to be honest is just trying to work just you, yeah. you know you don't always get unless you're on like a very few top percentage of actors and actresses you, got, you don't really get to choose and pick what you do other than you want to work or you don't want to work and so sometimes when the opportunities come you know it might not have been something on the outside you would do but I would definitely say as an artist you know developing your craft that you kind of just try to tackle that stuff mm-hmm. so I understand that in that respect so I certainly wasn't judgmental or harsh to him on that degree you know and I kind of told him you know like just try to do your best you guys not to screw up <laughs> yeah no I, I love that um, it's always yeah because in no way could I also be a part of it as well because of the original right it doesn't have you know besides the you know it's cool that they got the Day Chase who's an incredible actress and, mm-hmm. you, you know she's the original Samantha Darko I think that's the title, right? S. Darko? S. Darko, yeah. And, it, well, it's like yeah, S. Darko, a Donnie Darko film, I think is, yeah. Yeah. And that, it's just interesting, because I think that if there was going to be a direct sequel to Donnie Darko, that's not what it would have been. Yeah. I mean, if anything, I know that we had a website. It was one of the first interactive websites to appear on the World Wide Web back in 2002. And um, we kind of tell you what happens after. We tell you where the jet engine is from first off. Mm-hmm on that website you know and it's from the year 1992 so it's four years in the future wow <laughs> and yeah and so it's that f Darker who kind of overshoots that you know so I think mean, maybe it could exist and, you know it's just not part of Rich's original vision mm-hmm. you know and then within a year of the events of Donnie Darko what you also find out is that all of our characters died in mysteriously peculiar events somehow very reminiscent of Final Destination so since they've done a Final Destination, we couldn't really do that. It also would be a, you know, it would shift genres. Right. Really, truly, to tell that story. Because Donnie Darko in itself isn't a Final Destination story necessarily at all. You know, um, but that, you know, we all kind of meet our demise in very serious circumstances within a year of the events. So by 1989, 1990, we're gone. And so when the jet engine comes from whatever that future is in 1992, most of our characters are not alive for that anymore that existed in the original movie that's insane to me like you know because you never hear um i mean you just watch your favorite movies and you don't really know like a context of where things could have gone or what they were going to be like that's just so dope (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's super interesting you know and it's like i feel lucky because i was a part of it i was privy to this stuff Mm um you know and it's too bad that the website isn't up anymore because Back, you know, I, I remember I used to talk about some people do know what I'm talking about because they went, you had to answer certain questions and do certain trivia and it would unlock levels and there were three levels on this website and each level gave you more in-depth information on what happened to us. You know, you know it gives you Frank, Frank's last name, which I always use as a bit of trivia for anyone who knew the website. What is Frank's last name? Because we don't have it in the credits. It only comes from that website, which was written by Rich and somebody else. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's Ashley Cannon. And so what is the sure last Rich name? <laughs> uh, Frank's last name, for anyone that hears this, uh, they'll get it from this interview too, I guess. Um, it's Anderson. Wow. So I used to joke <laughs> a lot about it. Yeah, like, you have, it seems like you've been living two lives, Mr. Anderson. In one of these <laughs> lives, you are a bunny. And you haunt Donnie Darko in his wildest nightmares and in his darkest dreams. And in another one, you are just his sister's boyfriend. Aww. <laughs> You're not wrong. 
yeah, that, you know, that's kind of how I used, we used to think about it after, you know, I found out about the website, did, and I went on there as a fan myself, and did all the levels, and I was like, wow, I have a last name, that's cool. <laughs> um, it's not just Frank the Bunny, it's Frank Anderson the Bunny. Frank the Bunny. Um, I have so many pictures of Frank the Bunny. You have no idea. <laughs> uh, he, I hold him dear to my heart, you know, because when I first read the script, my initial reaction was is that it's like a really cool Twilight Zone, like a modern day Twilight Zone. Right, kind of like Black Mirrors kinda, now. Yeah, which became Black Mirrors in a lot of ways. And the other thing uh, that I, I couldn't get out of my head, you know, was in, in that Twilight Zone thing, that, you know, we haven't really seen anyone do something like this since then. And, and nothing like this in the Twilight Zone either, for that matter. I was honestly so blown away by this movie. I think I watched it when, God, 2001. I think I was, like, 14 when I seen this. Wow. So, yeah. Um, and I just remember, like, it was one of those films that, you know, obviously I wanted to show to everyone and anybody that would watch it, you know. And it, it's it's that movie for me. That and Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> um <laughs> oh, Sleepaway Camp. Uh, Felicia is a really good friend of mine. I love Felicia. We do karaoke when I uh, cover conventions. Oh, so you know her, yeah. So yes. you know she's amazing. I love her. She's an incredible <laughs> actress and person through and through. Absolutely. Um, usually I would be seeing her. Obviously, I'm staying away from cons this year for obvious reasons, but yeah, my birthday. Yeah, same, same here. Same here. My birthday always falls this weekend on uh, Days of the Dead convention. Normally, we'd be doing karaoke tonight, but. <laughs> Obviously, you know. I'm not done with Days of the Dead, but believe it or not, I was scheduled to do some this year, and when the COVID hit, that was it. No no conventions for anybody. Right. That would end everything. It's a crazy time. I mean, I know some people are doing it, but I'm not. I'm not going to do it until there's a vaccine. Right. I just had a a scare. I wrapped something just recently, and we tested, and we were negative, and we filmed, and a week later, one of the crew members was positive. You know, and it's after, you got to take your mask off. Right. So needless to say, we were all pretty worried there for a minute. We got tested and we were negative and no one ended up testing positive out of the duration of it. But it was a super close call. Yeah, it's definitely really scary times. And, you know, just want to thank you for, you know, getting out there and, you know, staying inspired and being creative. I know. Thank you. I mean, it's also kind of like, well, you know, we're taking all the necessary precautions. And when we think about it, you know, all the doctors and the nurses and the frontline workers, the postal workers, the people working at at the grocery stores, I mean, they are the unsung heroes right yeah. now, really. It's insane to see these people put their life on every day. Are you... Through the height of this pandemic, through all the spikes. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's... No, um, I'm amazed. Uh, where you're at, are you currently in lockdown or? We start a lockdown. I'm in Los Angeles. And mm-hmm. We start a lockdown tomorrow. Okay. But it, uh, it's only from 10 p.m. It's more of a curfew, 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. I see like memes and everything going on of like, oh, 10.01 or 10 p.m. Uh, COVID, uh, you're safe. 10.01 p.m. The Rona's going to get you. Yeah. <laughs> I get it, though. I find odd, to be completely honest, is nobody, there's really not very many people out at that time already anyway. You should be glad you're not where I am. I'm in Iowa. So, um... Oh, it's exploding over there. Which, well, yes. we are exploding here now, too. We just had a, almost 5,000 infections yesterday. Oh, now they alone. The way our governor explained it, the 10 p.m. thing, is because it's most, a lot of the carriers of it, even though they don't, 
um, have symptoms of it are between the ages of 21 and 25, and they're those are like the bar. Yeah, there's a younger population here as well. Yeah, it's uh, it's the bar goers. So they're trying to keep you know the young kids out of the bars. I think is the way the governor explained it. So it makes sense. It just kind of yeah. With I mean, we've, well, we've been in, in in some ways our indoor bars have, have been shut since March. They've never reopened except for if you have if you have an outdoor space and you serve food. But if you just serve alcohol mm-hmm. and you have indoors, you, you can't. That's we've never allowed that. That's never even come back. It all has to be outdoors. It's such so the a- bars who don't have outdoor license liquor licenses. Have, I know. Believe it or not, one bar that I love is a little dive bar called the Bronson Bar in Hollywood, which has been around for decades. But uh, they've shut down in March and they've not reopened, and there's no plans to reopen it if it's still around until next year. It's so sad, like what's happening to the economy and everything. I really hope that you know us as you know a community and everything that we can all just band together and you know support our businesses as soon as we can. Yeah, you know, like, I know, I know. We've been trying to. It does seem like the, the people, at least themselves, are trying to. We need the government to step in. They, unfortunately, don't really, they seem to be arguing about everything and nothing. And while the rest of this pandemic rages and people's protections and payroll's protections and personal protective equipment runs out, you know, it's just insane that they're just bickering. Right. So, and that, that's what really they need to focus on. And, you know, I don't get political, and it's not even not apolitical, but I have my beliefs. I also right. feel that we live in a time that people also have to make these responsible decisions for themselves, you know. And um, so I'm not there, out there necessarily preaching, but I know which side I stand on. And I do not stand on the side that legally lost. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not right or left. I'm, you know, and you, I wouldn't even say I'm a centrist. I'm just independent. I vote and I stand for the issues which are just and right for the people you know I and I and I and I and it's insane to me and I guess it makes a lot of sense because these people come from colleges whose dorms and sororities hazed and stood by and they carried the line even if everybody was guilty and wrong and they never spoke up and that's a disease when you get into the real world you know if it's wrong it's wrong and people need to speak up but that's not what they're doing they're towing the line for their dorm or for their, their their sports team yeah and, and, and i can't help but look around and go you guys this isn't, this isn't a team we're not playing teams right now this is people's lives and it's not about red or blue left or right republican or democrat it's about life or death right 100 percent. that's what these people yeah and these people are just that's not what they're doing and that's not what they're popping up and that's not what they're presenting to the people and they're keeping everyone confused, and they're keeping everyone, you know, in my opinion, questioning everything, which is unfortunate, because I am, I'd like to think of myself as a man of science. I didn't, you know, if I wasn't an actor, I was going to become a scientist. It was on the list. <laughs> and I tend to, you know, I tend to believe the people who commit their lives towards helping other people, doctors and scientists and experts, and these people, this is their bodily careers, their passion in life to save the world and to save people. And I'm more apt to listen to those than to somebody who's no experience with that whatsoever, but just tells me because they feel like it, they know better. With no, and that now everybody's spouting all these crazy theories with no mm-hmm. facts to back it up. So we don't need facts anymore. Someone just says it, and, and that's what it is. And, I'm not saying that didn't exist either, but it's 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 reached a point where you know I think it's you know it's it's a bit it's it's not it's very toxic, 
you know, because we used to joke about that in the first movie that I had ever done with Greg Rocky, and you're like, one of the characters was like, hey, man, I saw, or, no, it was on Doom Generation, actually, and they go, hey, man, I saw it on TV, so it's got to be true, right? Because <laughs> back in the 90s, all we had was television and radio, <laughs> you know, we didn't have the internet, we didn't have cell phones or anything like that. Well, um, so this advent of so much information has caused a massive disinformation. Yeah, I mean, and each news media outlet is different from the next, um, you know, so it's very conflicting information. And um, Yeah, very opinionated these days. It used to just be the facts. Now it's a lot of opinions. Yeah, as opposed to, yeah, you're right. It's, you're like, don't, don't tell me what you think. <laughs> just give me the facts and I'll make up my own mind. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I know that, um, you know, a lot of people, I mean, this has been a rough year for a lot of people, um, and it's hard for some to stay inspired. And obviously you're still doing your thing. Um, do you have any advice um, for others trying to stay creative during this trying time? I do. I do. And it's something that has saved me throughout, not this, not only this pandemic with once in a hundred years thing, but in those rough times when we weren't in a pandemic where you're having trouble getting by or finding your inspiration or creativity. Now, I would say is the one thing, you try to make the best of the situation you're in. Mm-hmm. And all I can think is we have a lot of time on our hands all of a sudden. So now, and what I figured out, at least for me, that helped me get through is now is the time to do all those things I said. If I only had the time to do this, I would. If I only had the time to do this, I would do that. And so that's what I've been doing. Um, I play a lot of guitar, a lot of bass guitar, a lot of piano. I have all the instruments and the keyboard upstairs in my room. Um, when we weren't in lockdown, I, my friend has a studio and an entire room full of instruments. So we've been playing there. In fact, I've been doing that for a couple years on and off. But what this afforded me was doing this hours a day becoming so proficient to a degree where I never playing things I never thought I'd learn to play, you know, and that as a creative outlet is filled me with so much inspiration because it's doing things that you only dreamt of doing. And how did I do it? By applying myself with the time I was given, because I'll say this too, once this is over, we'll never get this kind of time again, ever. Nobody. It's over. Right. Make the most of it. Writing scripts. I've been doing that. I'm working on a series right now, a couple series now. Um, like a television series or yeah television, long form television series um, I've been I have lucky to have had weights in my place for you know mm-hmm. I just bought years ago so when we went into lockdown I can work out here you know I've also got my puppy so I can spend more time with my dog than I Aww. ever got to spend before yeah so it's I'm not saying this is a blessing in disguise but you can turn it into something positive and by doing all these things you know having my puppy playing my instruments, to watching all the things I always wanted to watch, writing the stories I always wanted to tell, just diving into all of this and not having to worry about pressure of having to put it down. But really the only thing you need to really face up to the challenge with all this time is to the discipline to continue to apply yourself. And it becomes easier you do it. All of a sudden you're not embarrassed if you're playing an instrument for two hours because what else are you going to do in a lockdown? Right. Um, you I know, have, maybe put it down to get some food or go pee, but <laughs> you go back and just keep playing. <laughs> you know, I had a friend actually reach out to me um, like a few months back, and obviously I write for um, Pop Horror and then, you know, the podcast, um, which the podcast has been like a great um, creative outlet. I, I think podcasts have been awesome. That's one of my favorite things that have emerged in the last 10 years. 
Yeah, I mean, I love it. Like, I I wrote for Pop Horror since, like, 2016, but to be able to, like, convey, like, my emotion to talk about it as opposed to just write it so, you know, people can actually hear my words as opposed to just reading them because I think a lot gets lost in text through translation or translation through text, I should say. Um, it's, 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 it's a whole, it opens up a whole new world. It's like, you know, I love movies and I love silent films, but when you start to go to talkies, yeah, you open up a whole new, not just world, a universe. Right. When you can hear it. Because you get, like you said, you get those emotions, the inflections, the intentions, the humor. Yeah, and I mean, I get to kind of choose what I do now as opposed to, um, I remember when I first started writing, I would, like, I would go to the video store, and uh, most of those are even obsolete now, and I would just find a random movie, and if I liked it, I'd write about it, and a lot of those were independent films, and I love supporting indie horror or whatever, Um, but the problem that I had with that was all these independent directors wanted me to review their movies, and... It, it got to be a lot. <laughs> and because, I mean, you're not going to yeah, like it. It can, it can be overwhelming because these days they, there's thousands of those movies, literally. Yeah. And, literally. And I, a year. I had a problem saying no. And I felt like I was like compromising who I was. Like, because I didn't want to give like somebody a bad review, even though that's how I was feeling about the film. You know, like I want to support people. And so I. I just had to, like, take a step back, and then, you know, I got to podcast, and, you know, if I didn't want to do something, because I, I would be assigned when I was writing, you know, and when I started my own, I could just talk how I, and I would rather talk about things I'm passionate about, you know, as opposed to, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, I don't want to, you know, talk, like, I, my time is too precious to waste it being negative, or, you know, so... I agree. I couldn't agree more. You know, and that's how I was raised, which is why I'm still, maybe it's just because I was raised that way. Yeah. But my parents used to tell I'd say something like, why would you say something like that? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't waste people's time. Right. And I used to be like, well, they need to know that. And after a while, I'm like, no, they don't. Especially as I got older, I began to realize, especially as an adult, you know better or you should know better. I am not your parent or your teacher telling what. One from one adult to the other, how you should act, or what you should say, or how you should, you should know better. Yeah. The only thing I can do is remove myself from those situations, but I'm not out there to tell those people these things. You know, but I we do. You know, it's important to be able to express ourselves. You know, and and if we put that negative energy out there, we carry that negative energy with us too. Yeah, I mean, I remember I wrote uh, a review that um, I got assigned a screener for it, and I just really did not like this movie. And I tried to um, do it the best way that I could, and I basically compared it to a Lifetime movie. <laughs> and I mean that. I've read some scathing reviews. That's not horribly scathing. <laughs> no, I I wasn't mean. I like I I believe I was just like I just I feel like this is a coming of age lifetime movie thrown in with an ice cream man that's a killer, <laughs> and um the the I I really hurt the director's feelings of that film. And after that day, I was just like I know <laughs> you know I I don't want to I don't want to do a review that if I. I can't fake it, you know? So, I mean, that's compromising my integrity as a writer just to just to please people, you know? And a lot of people, a lot of these directors were wanting me to review their films because I had given positive reviews and it just, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I took a step back from well, writing. You're like, oh yeah, there's nothing wrong with only writing about the movies you like and be like, look, I don't write about movies I don't like. And 
I don't like to you know, you just get someone else because someone else can write about that. Yeah. So I just and you know I you know have seniority over there. Awesome. So, yeah. So no reason, yeah, there's no reason to have to do that. You know, I prefer not to to either. You know, on, on a personal level, if I have to warn someone about someone else, I you know I do I like it's my responsibility. Look, you don't want to put your hand in the fire with this person. But I'm not going to go out that announcing you know bad mouthing people. Again, because I also think, you know, we also live in a day and age, if you act like an ass, it's going to come out pretty quick. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to be the target, like the, the hunter and revealer for that kind of thing. Well, um, you, let's talk about something positive here. Um, yes. Um, yes. Y- you have done. I mean, it's pretty positive <laughs> that we don't want to speak negatively. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, now you have done uh, so. Don, I, actually, I just have one more question about Donnie Darko before. Um, sure. Now it's a huge, huge debate, and I'm not sure if you've been asked this question before or not. But um, and obviously, I come from the background of uh, the horror genre, right? So a really big debate as if Donnie Darko is a horror movie. Well, it's got horror elements, but I myself never thought of it as a horror movie. When no? <laughs> making it. No, I thought of it more as like, like I said, I mean, but this is just my initial reaction. Mm-hmm. I read this script in 1999. No, I'm sorry. I read it in 2000, early 2000. So I just thought it was, a, my little take on it was a, a, like an episode of the Twilight Zone made into a film. Modern day. So kind of more like sci-fi-ish. Definitely had sci-fi element, elements too, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it is sci-fi. I, I definitely saw it as more of a sci-fi film. Yeah, it's like a huge debate. <laughs> um, I don't know if you knew yeah, that or it's not. Got, you know, it's got time travel. Yeah. And so that alone, and then the ultimate, you know, the alternate realities and dimensions to me makes it sci-fi. You know, and then you have these horror elements to it that exist within the film. But, you know, honestly, as well, when I read the script, I never thought of Frank as anything evil for a minute. No, not I at all? Of him as, no, my impression, my initial impression when I read the script is like, oh, wow, he's like some kind of dark guardian angel. That makes sense. <laughs> he appears as a bunny instead of an angel with his eyes shot out, but he's, he's looking out for Donnie, he's guiding and he's watching him. I've seen it, like, the first time it was like he was leading him to his destiny. It could be leading him to yeah. his death, but if he didn't die, the whole universe would have died. Right. He, you know, there's such an amazing line, and I love the way Jake plays it with Jenna. When they're going, she's like, so what kind of name is Donnie Darko anyway? It's like, he's some kind of superhero or something? And he looks at <laughs> her and he smiles, and he just goes, what makes you think I'm nothing? And it's like, bam, he is. Because he gives his life to save the person he loves, his family, the world he knows and has, is just beginning to learn and doesn't know. He gives it all to save the universe because he knows that, well, you know, the, with the rip and the tear and the fabric of space and time, as he can see the events unfolding in front of him, and especially the, the portal opening up, you know, in the end, as he sits there with Gretchen's body, he knows what he has to do. He needs to go back to the portal, go back in time, go back to his room and not leave it. So then why did he leave it in the first place? You know, people could ask. And, that, and that's the question I asked myself. But he... If you remember the whole time leading up to it, mm-hmm. he didn't really experience love. He was like, I just want to fuck Christina Applegate. And, you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> he was like, his hormones were going through him. You know what I mean? But when he meets Gretchen, you know, they're, you know, and they finally lose their virginity together, they're holding hands. He loves her. 
he's fallen up. He's experienced right. what love is to a point where this alienation between his sister and his mother and his family and the outside world and the kids he goes to school with all of a sudden melts. He's going to save everybody because love has turned him into a superhero. So in a, a lot of ways also, too, and I remember it was confusing to people. They're like, I was like, Donnie Darko is this massive love story about possibilities. That's what the movie's about. When they have the board... And, you know, it's separated with fear and love as he's going through it. Obviously, fear and love obviously play like a huge element of the movie. You know, so obviously when he's there, it's almost like he's conquering his fear to be able to go back because he was able to love and get over that fear and that he was able to experience Which is eventually the fear of death. Yeah, yeah. Eventually the fear of other people, the fear of who he is and how he, you know, and he accepts all of these things. And then when, you know, that, and I think that's what that is is symbolic. And I don't even, you know, it's amazing how it played out. I don't know if Rich meant this on a conscious level, but this represents the struggle in all of us. Right. For all of us to overcome. And, and when you do experience <laughs> love, how that changes your world and your life. Because we could always ask, why did someone risk their life to do this with well, I would say that most of the people that did that, they have feel love on a pretty deep level. And appreciation, and in that love is an appreciation for life and the world around you. And, I think, and it's amazing, because in that sense, I think love does truly set us free. That's what they mean by love sets you free. And then I know in the past, I've been said, what do you mean? I feel like I'm in jail. I can't let go of this. I just, you know what I mean? But that's not what love sets you free means. It means when you finally experience love and accept it for what it is, then you can let everything go. It allows you to let everything go. And it allows you to be where you are headed. Mm -hmm. And that's why they say, if you love something, set it free. Forget about the part of it coming back to you because that's not even important. What's important is if you love something and you realize and you're holding on to it, it's putting it in a prison. How could you imprison something you love? I love that. You need to (laughs) let it go. Yeah. Obviously, you've done so many fun roles um you know from go uh gone in 60 seconds um <laughs> uh tales from halloween um uh and one of my personal favorites may yeah i love making may that was a fun movie uh the scissors <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that was a fun night filming actually they really you know because i there wasn't i don't know where they got the cap but at one point i was doing the scene and then they were like, yeah, you know, there's just we need one, we need you to tweak it a little bit. And I was like, yeah, no, Jimmy, come over here for a second. And I went over there for a second. They put the cat in the freezer, which wasn't originally in there. And that's the take they put the movie in. So I opened the freezer and I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I really was like, that was not only the character, that was also me going, what the fuck is that? Like, you put that in the fucking scene? <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, just freaked me out of the camera. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a favorite role that you have done? I do. Um, you know, over time, you know, it, it changes mm-hmm. as, you know, I, I do more recent work. Um, I, I had quite a bit of fun playing the, the, the black metal guy uh, in the sequel to SLC Punk and Punkstead. Right. Which is the complete <laughs> opposite of my original character in the first movie he was. John Lamont, he got along with everybody, you know, the diplomat in between all tribes. And you get to him 20 years later, and he's just this bitter, angry, I hate everybody. (laughs) God is the problem with everything. (laughs) And that was a lot of fun to play, actually, because 
I also play, I think there's one point with Devin Sawa's character where I basically call out posers. But ultimately, my character's just a poser. <laughs> 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 it's all an act. You know, trying to be. He's from Salt Lake City. He's not Swedish, Norwegian. <laughs> He's a poser. <laughs> Well, I think Devin, Devin's character, Sean, says that to me. I'm like, no, gosh, of course I'm not. That's exactly what I am. So that was a lot of fun. That, that role was a lot of fun to play. And then um, probably, uh, you know, it's on the shelf. I did this short with Ray Wise where we both played Hitman. And he was like the veteran Hitman. And I was like the green up-and-coming impatient, you know, hot into the collar Hitman. And that was a lot of fun. That was one of the funnest roles I've, got, I've ever had played. Um, and then more recently, uh, I finished this movie last year called I Challenger. I played this 40-something-year-old failed gamer who sells marijuana to underage kids. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not out yet. We just literally finished oh. the post and everything's done. So hopefully, you know, sometime next year. Right fingers on. crossed. Um, but I'm really excited about that one. Because the big turnaround with that is I make friends with my partner in crime, Coy Williams. And he convinces me to try my luck. And... In my crazy mind, uh, I figure out maybe the best way to try my luck is to do a 24-hour self-supervised burial. Well, I'll bury myself underground for 24 hours and, and, and put it on YouTube for everyone to watch. Oh. Because, you know, I want you to stay tuned, folks. Anything <laughs> can happen. And anything does. <laughs> I don't spoil it. While you're underground. <laughs> yes. While people are watching me, the whole, you know, as, you know more and more followers. That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it take, definitely takes a turn for the worse. And so it's a kind of a, it's a comedy, but it gets kind of creepy and horrific at times towards the end. So it definitely has four elements too. Um, I can say without spoiling too much. Mm-hmm. And I'm very, very excited about this movie. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that you know, when it comes out, you guys are excited about it as well. I Challenger. That I Challenger. All right, got it. I Challenger. <laughs> I come like I and Challenger, but. I challenge you, like, I mad, I challenge you. <laughs> <laughs> you sound like a caveman. <laughs> yeah, video game, that's his avatar, he's a challenger. And, you know, and I, and I can spoil it. He says, you know, the reason why he calls himself a challenger is because he never wins at anything. So he's just a challenger. <laughs> he's just a challenger, yeah. You, you know, he, he admits that later on in the movie, kind of reluctantly. And that's kind of what solidifies his friendship, which is honesty. You know, with uh, Coy Williams' character, who becomes eventually becomes my best friend and partner in crime. <laughs> <laughs> well, or I'm. Should I say partner in burial? Partner in burial. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm definitely excited to check that one out. It kind of seems like there's a theme. Uh, I didn't really put it together until we were just talking. Um, but one of my questions, uh, you know, obviously we're here to talk beast mode as well, and one That's of the- a lot of fun. And one of the themes that uh, one of my questions was, what was it essentially like playing two different personalities or two different characters? And it kind of seems like you do that a lot in your films um, that I didn't really put together. Yeah, until- <laughs> I've been given the opportunity to do that a few times um, and more and more recently, which I, you know, I'm, I think it's, you know, my attraction towards that started when I was doing Independence Day, actually. I was doing two movies at the same time. So I was filming Greg Rocky's Noah one week in LA and then I'd get on a plane and I'd take the earrings out and I'd change my part, get in a different wardrobe, and then I'd, 
played Randy Quaid's son for Independence Day. I was <laughs> film in Utah. And then I'd get on the plane, and I'd go fly back to L.A., and then I'd put my earrings back on and change my part, put on the 90s, it's just clothes, and then I would do the nowhere for a week. Then I would go back to Utah, and I did that for a couple months. Like, I finished that in the first month, and then I wrapped nowhere and, in L.A., and then I finished Independence Day. Early on in my career, I figured out it wasn't actually that challenging to do, but it was actually pretty easy, given that if I show up and they're going to provide the wardrobe, right? Mm -hmm. Which is going to change the look already. And the script's totally different. And then being on a set, like, from nowhere, which is this tiny indie movie for a million, 1.5 million at the time, to step on the Independence Day with the biggest A-list stars out there for 70 million lent itself to a completely different environment. So... Throwing myself, or being thrust into that and being very comfortable with it, I ended up doing that a few times. And then over, just over the years when I got offered parts, I think it happened a few times where I was really like, I remember Greg Araki asked me, like, what would you like to play sometime? I'm like, I don't know, maybe some kind of stoner or something. And you <laughs> find out in the end, I'm not a stoner. And so he did this movie, Kaboom, and he wrote me in as the RA who sells weed ever. He's the, not sell weed, he, he's the stoner in the dorm for all the kids. And then three quarters of the movie, you find out it's all an act. He's actually secret undercover for the resistance. And he never touches this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Mr. Green and Clue. <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, actually, I am CIA. Yes. <laughs> I um, love it. Yeah, which uh, I got to say, I saw that movie in the theater three times because and when it came out when I was a kid because I just I absolutely adored it. And that's still one of my favorite movies to this day, by the way. Clue? Clue is genius. <laughs> I it love it. It is a genius film. Yeah, it is genius. I, Natalie, I hated her. I hated her so much. Flame, Flame out of my face. Everybody in that movie, Tim Curry from the beginning to the end, is just solid gold. Now, did you know that they had uh, you when it played in the theater? You actually would get a different ending depending on which. Yeah, I was really frustrated because I went three times. I was <laughs> A, B, and C when I was a kid, and I got ended up seeing ending A once and ending C twice, and I never saw ending B until it came out on VHS and they put all three endings on there. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> I love that movie. Because I couldn't find, I was young at the time, I wasn't old enough to drive, you know, I'd have, mm-hmm. to have my mom drop me off at the theater and take a dive, and the mom, I'm movie's done, can you come pick me up? You know, it was safe like that. <laughs> 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 so I used to do that all the time as a kid, and I'd go to the theater, you know, when I was eight years old, and she would drop me off. And so I saw Clue, I think I was like nine or ten when I saw Clue, early 80s, but, uh, yeah, I was, I was frustrated because I couldn't find an ending B that was close enough for my mom to take me and drop me off. <laughs> is that the is that the ending with Mrs. Peacock? Let me see if I remember. One of them, you find out Mr. Green is a CIA. That's agent. the last one. Then yeah, that's so that's ending C. Then one of them, you find out the butler Tim Curry is the agent, and I think that's ending A. Okay. <laughs> so the first ending, and then. Yeah, so Mrs. Peacock was the one I hadn't seen. With, um, uh, what was the cop's name? Uh, God, uh, uh, J.F., uh, Hoover? Oh, God, I can't, like, at this moment. Yeah, yeah, J. Uh, J. Edgar uh, Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> when, <laughs> and she gets slapped in the face, like, I crack up every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
mean, that, yeah, and those performances all the way through, those, like, those actors are just something else. That's definitely but, a magical like, movie. <laughs> yeah, so this idea, so, and then from that moment, you know, I remember when Beast Mode came on, I was like, yeah, I would love to play this. This is, you know, this is, not that I didn't look at it as a challenge, which I didn't really so much as I just looked at it as something to really, since I've done it so many times now, now I had a real chance. Mm-hmm to kind of sink my teeth into it by really having, you know, instead of like a more active playing two different characters, or, and, you know, they're the same character, but one's pretending to be a stone, it was really an undercover agent. Now it really is two completely different characters in beast mode. Right. And like, I love how you can like see the transition between the two as well. Um, you know, and it, it is essentially, again, like, good versus evil, and um, the movie definitely does showcase, you know, metaphors and the masks of Hollywood, and... Yeah, and I love the metaphors and just kind of being crazy about it instead of being so nail on the head and pointing fingers at people like, you can't behave that way, but kind of just make fun of it. Right. You, know, you want to be like this guy? Hell no! <laughs> <laughs> um, now, there's a scene where, uh, like, you're, like, working out, that's, and you, like, stand on your head. Uh, you're really into yoga, I think, I, I believe I read. Yeah. Yes. I used to teach it. Really? I used to teach it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I that's... still practice, but I just haven't had time to teach because, uh, you know, you really have to make a choice as a yoga teacher, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. You can be a yoga teacher. I'm not saying I couldn't teach from time to time or give lessons, but I couldn't really be a teacher in the sense that, and it's the same for me. When I go to a yoga teacher... I always want them to be there for me as a teacher. And if I go and they're not there, I'm going to go practice with someone else. Right. So what happens is if I get a room full of students and I'm working out of the studio and then I leave to go do a movie, they'll lose all those students. They can't, they're not going to wait two months or whatever for me to go do a yoga class and they need to do it the next day and they need to stay on the routine. And it's the same for me too. So I realized early on that I couldn't, it was, I was hurting the studio by trying to keep Aww. classes there. So then I was just substituting from time to time, um, which I haven't done in a few years, and I was about to get back into it. I was practicing pretty heavily when uh, COVID hit. And now pretty much, you know, thankfully my old original teacher is teaching once in a while again and doing Zoom classes, but my my last studio closed down because of it. In fact, all the studios closed down. There's not been a reopening of a single yoga studio since March. Have you thought about doing anything like online? Like video? I have, but, but the, one, the only, I can do so much in my apartment, and I can even do yoga, but a full 90-minute class is not really reasonable. Ideal, here. yeah. Because we, well, we, we have carpet, and you don't want to be doing it on carpet, because when you start to sweat and your pores open up, it, your body sucks all of that dust in, and, you, and I break out into hives and stuff like that from Aww. the dirt and the dust. Yeah, so if I need to be like a clean room with the, that's dust-free or mostly dust-free, which is like, you know, most good yoga studios have the hardwood floors and there's no furniture or rugs or anything like that because when you start to sweat all your pores open up and they'll just start taking everything in that's in the air yeah get all kinds of weird skin rashes and skin which would happen from time to time when i did the hot really hot yoga so i don't do the super hot yoga. <laughs> that makes that gives me back me for some reason it's like i never had that my whole life <laughs> and then they're like stop doing it in 100 degrees and i stopped doing it like it went away <laughs> Well, see. I'm doing that, kid. Yeah, that looks like a monster. 
<laughs> well, see, when I thought the title of the film, uh, Beast Mode, and sometimes try to stay away from trailers, sometimes it's like a sneak preview, and then other times it gives it away too much, so I wanted to, like, go in blind, so, like, before I was thinking anything, obviously, like, Beast Mode, I think about, like, all these guys at the gym, like, with their selfies up doing, like, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking this movie could potentially be. <laughs> What we were thinking of when he started doing that. Yes. <laughs> originally, I, I do a lot of yoga, but I had also been lifting weights coincidentally when this movie came up for the SLC Punk movie. Because mm-hmm. that character is like, he's into Norwegian black metal, but he also started lifting weights to get all hardcore uh-huh. and <laughs> get super buff. So it just happened to, like, they literally overlapped with each other. So I was still big and lifting weights from that movie. So we just incorporated it into this movie. Like, oh, of course these guys, like, beast mode, you know? Like you were saying, like, these guys be like, come on, bro, push it, push it. Hey, what are you doing later? Give me one more rep. Fuck around. (laughs) And I've I've never heard those conversations. I'm like, I can't come back to this gym. I can't come back here. I love it. Guys, I'm trying to work out. Are you talking about going up? Fuck around. <laughs> um, do you have, Sorry about that. No, you're good. <laughs> well, I mean, I brought it up, so. <laughs> um, do you have any fun behind-the-scene stories from filming Beast Mode? There's quite a bit. Uh, yeah, you know, shooting the scene with James Hong was a fun but tough scene for me. You know, um, I was very inspired by Terry Kaiser and, you know, uh, Bernie Lomax from Weekend at Bernie. Yeah, Weekend at Bernie. I just homage. rewatched that recently, actually. Yeah, that was literally, I was thinking that was what's on my mind. Bernie Lomax, Terry Kiffin, <laughs> you know. And that was on my mind. And while we were doing it, I was just trying to be through the best Bernie I could do, right? <laughs> James Hong is a brilliant actor, mm-hmm. first off. Like, he's been in everything. He's a legend, drama, uh, comedy, sci-fi. He's been in all, like, a lot of my favorite movies. Everything from Blade Runner to Balls of Fury, that man has torn it up. And being experienced as that man is, he's good at ad-libbing and improv <laughs> So I'm supposed to be shooting the scene. I know all the dialogue. I know all the dialogue. All I have to do is play dead. And this guy's starting to crack jokes. Making <laughs> break up. We're in the middle of trying to film being Bernie Because <laughs> 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 every take was something different. <laughs> To be honest, like that's part of the joy, like these stories and this moment with James Hong. It's part of the joy of working, you know, with other actors mm-hmm. who have fun and love what they do. Because when you love what you do, it is truly what they say. You never work a day in your life. You go into a big adult playground where all the adults are playing with adult playground stuff. <laughs> and you know, it's, it's like it. For example, when you're doing a horror movie, you know. Uh, I was talking about this a couple of days ago with someone else, you know, like, they're like, so what's it like with the uh, difference between horror movies and regular movies? I'm like, buckets of blood. <laughs> of course. Buckets of, like, you're never bloody enough in a horror movie. <laughs> and everybody else who doesn't make horror movies is afraid to touch it. No, 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 like, with beast mode, like, to get in, like, the monster makeup, and that took a couple of hours, and it was so good. And then give me, like, some fake intestines to pull out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, it's so far 
removed, detached from reality. You know, again, it's like you get so jazz. I get so jazz and excited going to set and playing with these people that even when you have these grotesque moments like that, you know, the kind of illusion is people watching the terrific, but it's really quite fun to film. <laughs> right. I don't mean to sound demented at all because it's never for a moment would I want to inflict harm on another living thing purposefully. You know, I even flies. I try to put them in a cup and throw them out. I'm like, don't make me kill you. Aw, <laughs> don't make me kill you. Yeah, I try not to. You know, I don't want someone to put me in a cup and, you know, I'd rather someone put me in a cup and throw me out and stomp on me. Right? I think, I think, every, I think everybody would prefer that. Yeah, yeah. So I try to, you know, I try to practice that golden rule. Do on to others, you know. I wouldn't want that done to me, so I'm not going to do that to you. Aw. I'm really freaking angry at you. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to be a big Jimmy. <laughs> not a little Jimmy. <laughs> Like you're flying above me. <laughs> yeah. What was it that drew you to uh, the script of Beast Mode? Well, it was really funny. Kind of, I, you know, I haven't seen it, but I think I've heard, you know, the positive things I've heard is it's really kind of crazy. And that was what I loved about it is that it was crazy and outrageous and kind of was like kind of pushed the boundaries a little, a little bit. Yeah. And at the same time, it has a really poignant statement. I mean, it, you know, as funny and weird as fun as that movie can be, I mean, those statements stand absolutely true, you know, and I think Ray Wise's character puts it best about fame's a monster and so this mask you put on. Yeah. And after a while, you know, you got to be careful if you it corrupt you, overtake you, possess you. Yeah, at the end of the day, it kind of has this positive statement. Right, even though, like, there's just people doing horrible things to, you know, where is the breaking point or the cutoff point of what you wouldn't do um, for the thing that you want most? Or do you even want what you think that you want? Well, you know, I saw it a lot as a a young actor when I first came to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I still see it now. I don't just see it, by the way, in Hollywood anymore, but it is predominantly exist here. And it's incredible because people talented from all over the world come here to realize their dreams and make them come true. These people also grew up with certain morals. And you see a lot of people throw these things right out the window for a second of fame. Right. For a second of recognition, stab their friends in the back, sell people out. It happens every day. And it's crazy and it's unbelievable. And you can only ask why would someone do that? They were so amazing. What? Co- and, and it's not that they're not still amazing people and won't be amazing people in the future. But what caused them to falter like that? What caused them to inflict pain on others like that? What corrupted them, in other words? And it, and it, it was kind of like, you know. Like doggy dog. By the fame. Yeah. And also bitten by the fame bug, you know. If you want to be famous, which is sad, because, you know, I've also seen this. Most, I, I think most big actors, the misconception is they're screwed up and they're not. Most are pretty professional people and they're cool. But you do have a slew of people out there who get carried away. Right. Think they can do whatever they want and get away with it. And we've seen it in the news and the media time and time again. You know, and it really, it, you can see the effects of fame stemming all the way back from before even the talkies in the silent age. You know, Rudolph Valentino and Clara Bow, and they all had their mix of problems of alcoholism and morphine addiction and this is in the 20s you know being these celebrities who sold these products so that was kind of the beginning of sell using celebrities to sell products and i can't remember the name of the man who 
invented this kind of media commercialism, but he used the act, came up with the idea we could use actors to sell these things. Like, so, for example, diamonds weren't used for engagement until the product placement thing made it that in the 30s, I think it was, in the 40s. Before that, if you look back in history, diamonds were never given to marry somebody. That was just a way for them to sell diamonds that exist to this day, almost 100 years later. So they used these studios to push products and use the actors to do it. But most of the time, these actors who were nothing like their characters, who were being bloated by the old studio system, you know, which didn't mm-hmm. make them into these super beings, were very tumultuous, turbulent inner conflict. You know, that was a, those were rough times after World War One and the pandemic had just passed. And yeah, we surely were worked and made our way into the roaring 20s, but that only ended in disaster with the stock market fall and eventual entrance into World War II. So that was an extremely precarious time. And we don't talk about the mental aspects, we didn't understand about it then, but only in the emergence of like, the, even now, in the last 20 years, like bullying is not a good thing. It, it, it affects people for the rest of their lives. It damages them. This hasn't prevented us from this behavior for thousands of years, right? But now we talk about it, now we recognize it, now we try to stop it. And that's the involvement, I think, of, you know, as people we evolve, you know, hopefully in society we evolve. And that's the very battle that we were just fighting politically in this country, the devolvement. We didn't want it to evolve. We want to keep evolving. We don't want to go back to the 20th century. Right. We leave that behind. Yeah. And, you know, as, that was so long winded. <laughs> no, you're good. I mean, it and again, back to the movie, it's like peeling off the mask. You know, what's behind it is not always what you think it's going to be. It certainly was like Huckle's not. But yeah, you know, so yeah, the whole thing about the mask, you know, I thought was fascinating. <laughs> and the other thing, too, that really attracted me to the project was the opportunity to play two characters, really kind of three. Because there's Huckle, there's Michael, and there's Michael pretending to be Huckle. So in my mind, I was like, wow, I get to really play three characters. This is great. I haven't got to do that yet. Yeah, I mean, the, the cast is stacked, absolutely. Um, you know. Yeah, I was <laughs> excited about the cast from day one. I was, you know, for me it was more of, you know, if you'll have me, I would love to be a part of this. So I was very, very happy that they said yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, when you have that, like, T-shirt on your head (laughs) (laughs) I literally lost it (laughs) yeah you know that that was Spain's idea Spain's pretty you know you know uh, Chris and Spain co-directed it and Spain had some pretty like you know Chris was a lot really hands on and Spain was more behind the scenes but there were moments when Spain would come up and he just had like it would just be like this spark of like hey why don't you try this with this shirt on your head (laughs) 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 you're just like that's genius man I keep doing that don't be afraid to keep doing that. <laughs> um, I, I felt like that Saturday Night Live skit. Well, I am your claim old me. <laughs> Chris Farley? It was Chris Farley, and it was when that it was when the extras kept speaking up during. Uh, I can't. It's so skit so long ago. It's when the extras kind of trying to keep speaking up. Right. Where they're just supposed to pantomime. Uh-huh. Like, no, no, you pantomime. <laughs> <laughs> so I am your actor, mold me. <laughs> oh, I miss old okay, SNL. Shut <laughs> up. <laughs> That's so funny to me. Like, for some reason, when I was growing up, I don't know if it's Little Rascals and Three Stooges and, but, and Laurel and Hardy. And I just, 
you still it was always so funny to me when someone gets so mad at someone else and starts freaking out. <laughs> just makes me laugh really hard. <laughs> You're like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> Now, now I ask everybody that I interview, and it's usually the hardest question for some reason, um, but I think you won't have any problems. Uh, what is your favorite horror film? Gosh, you know, I really, I really have a soft spot just because when I was growing up, the first couple of horror movies I ever saw was the original Halloween, mm-hmm. then the original Friday the 13th. Uh, I saw Dawn of the Dead before Night of the Living Dead. So I wasn't born when Night of the Living Dead come out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and then The Fog. And I, I gotta say that those movies kind of really, Christine, they really, because I was too young to be watching them. So you're a big fan <laughs> so of John really, Carpenter. Yeah, and that really disturbed me. So I've got to say it's probably just because it was the first, my first real impression of horror was Halloween. In the awesome. late 70s. <laughs> and the older kids used to taunt us about it. Like, you love the horror. <laughs> you know, Mike Myers. You're like, oh my God, Mike Myers is in the neighborhood. I don't want to go home tonight. Not by myself. <laughs> I'm only on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> so, believe it or not, you know, there was no Halloween 2 yet. There was no Friday the 13th. I don't even think first, first Friday the 13th had come out at that point yet. So, it was truly the most horrific thing to us Curry as Pennywise. <laughs> uh, he was another big one. So that came, I, when he did that, I was in high school. And uh, up to that point, I was never afraid of clowns. And I never really understood, you know, and I've none of them even from like, I've been to circuses. And I've never been really fond of them either, but I wasn't afraid of them. <laughs> until people started talking about Pennywise. <laughs> <laughs> this made for and TV movie. I why people were scared of clowns for the very first time. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> changed my that changed my world and this is what I'm thinking you know you think even by the time that the you know they had done the, the original it at that point I was like well I grew up with horror I'm in high school now I'm a fan <laughs> and then you watch that and you're like oh my god I like that. you're I like, like I do not want to go shower <laughs> yeah I do not want I don't like clowns anymore I'm not thinking I'm thinking about the state puff marshmallow man state puff marshmallow man. that's what I'm imagining that's it don't like yeah, come get me state puff <laughs> You're like happy thoughts, happy thoughts. <laughs> Take me to Neverland. <laughs> yeah, because I also started reading too, so I read the book as well, and I read the original Stan book as well, and so those books horrified me. Right. You know, because I read those in high school, so I started to be a really, you know, ravenous, you know, reader in the late eighties. Did you and ever getting the Stan book? I'm sorry. Did you ever read the Amityville horror? I hadn't read it. I was only watched those movies and was so freaked out by them as a kid. <laughs> by far, the book is so much scarier. By far the scariest book I've that. ever read. Oh my god! Like five pages in, you're gonna be like cringing. And I don't get, yeah, I, I don't like scare that. easy. <laughs> so, but yeah, by far yeah, the scariest book. Books, so, but I like that. Yeah, it's because it's maybe it's just more descriptive in your head, and 
I, okay, like, you're probably going to laugh at this, but so I read the Twilight books, um, and then I seen the movies, and the movie was completely not what I had imagined in my head at all, and... Yeah, it happens all the time with me. All yeah. the time. There's, there's, you know, a lot, it's like, why wouldn't you even get that from the book? That was the book. Like, no, it wasn't in the book. And it was like, well, why did you do that then? So, well, they're trying to tell Tori visually. Well, you can tell a story visually the way the book told the story, So um, you spoke earlier that you're um, also very musically inclined. Do you have any uh, passion projects coming up with music or any albums, any YouTube, anything like that? Um, I don't have anything like that, believe it or not. I've been playing for years. I used to play in a couple bands, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. over the years, too. Um, And that kind of, like, the last band, which is called Gene Wilder. And then we also had, like, an alternate... Like the actor? Yeah, like the actor. And then we had an alter ego named Keith Sweat. You know, like, instead of marijuana, the Keith... (laughs) Keep <laughs> sweat like oh that makes me sweat. <laughs> it was kind of a joke band, uh, but we were playing like quite often in LA back. I think between like 2009 and 2015, and eventually kind of you know we're all actors. Everyone in Gene Wilder, so everyone's not drifted apart in the sense where we don't talk, but working on other various projects. Right. Um, I know that <clears throat> the old singer and the lead of Gene Wilder is now Hacksaw and Duggan. Hacksaw and Duggan with his brother, which is like a more electronically uh, programmed music. And although I've been playing this whole time, nothing for YouTube or no... I mean, I there's eventual plans down the pipeline to record something, mm-hmm. but it hasn't been in the forefront of recording so much as I've just spending a lot of time playing and a lot of time writing. So I'd probably have... Let me see, I just came up with a new song even yesterday... Um, that I'll probably spend the next couple of weeks working on. But if I just open up my file, because I'll just open up, I'll just use my mic, my Quick Voice Pro mic, and I'll record on my phone. I even plug in, do it acoustically. And then from there, I'll create the demos later on that are to be recorded. And it's all just original? <clears throat> yeah. That's awesome. Like, I do yeah, not I'm have sure. a musical note in my body. <laughs> so I'm always so fascinated that you know There's probably 50 or 60 songs here <laughs> that's amazing over the last four or five years i mean they're just really a lot of them are ideas and some of them are fully formed but you know i was a classical piano player when i was six really I playing piano yeah and i only played probably like i took lessons for only three years i played till about 12 or 13 i had a piano in my house and then when i moved i didn't have a piano anymore so i was eight i Growing up musical was something that, you know, I could wake up, I could go to the piano and play it. I could get mad, I could go to the piano and play it. I could be happy, <laughs> I could go to the piano and play it. You know what I mean? This is in my house. This is in the living room. So I was so used to having that that in the, my high school years when I didn't have any sort of outlet for that anymore that I decided, you know, I think it was my, I was 19 at that point, and I took my first unemployment checks and I saved them and I bought a guitar with it. 
and I started learning to play guitar, self-taught, and other people teaching me to play. And you know, 25 years later, I can play finally. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> well, you know, it's like a lot of that just playing. You know, yeah. I mean, the key to it, you know, in, in anything really, sports, music, acting, whatever you do, you know, it's through the process of, of practicing, and by practicing, you're doing it. And I used to practice where it's like you practice, you're doing it, but you're, you're not. It's not the same as performing. And then, then it just becomes that like you're just doing it. So you're just like I'm going to pick up and I'm going to play. So when you're performing, you're playing. When you're practicing, you're playing. And so remove that part of it, and then keep it just fun because it's fun to perform too. So it's fun to perform, but it's fun to practice. So in the end, I'm just playing and having fun, whether I'm practicing or performing. And that's the kind of mindset I try to keep with everything. Like, you're very inspiring. Very. Oh, thanks, Lacey. <laughs> yeah. It took me many years to get here. Many, many years. I wish this was my point of view even five years ago. But this was the direction I've been moving in towards the whole time. Well, I love it. Absolutely. I mean, I believe that life is too short to, you know, sit there and feed in your negativity and you know see I was one of those people that I thought you know I had to get married at 25 I had to do this I had to do that and you know I was so miserable doing these things that like I just thought I, I was just doing what you know I thought life was supposed to be like and now I'm like 33 and I don't have kids and I'm divorced but that's fine <laughs> you know um yeah and you're fucking and I'm 40 I just turned 48 I'm didn't get married, but I broke, we broke the engagement some years back, and I don't have any kids, but that is okay. You know, I've got my puppy, I've got my career, I'm happy. Right. You know? Like, that's... Yeah, and we need to make the most of where we're at with what we have instead of what we think we should have or what we want. And, and that's how we move towards directions of, of attaining those things. Right. I, I believe. You break the mold. Um, and once you like step outside, it, it, it was so freeing to leave my situation, you know, and, you know, it took time to, you know, obviously heal, but I was so much happier leaving something that I, my whole, my heart wasn't just in, you know? So if it's it's hurting you, you gotta go. Yeah, it was, it was not like I wasn't being my most authentic self and that's all you can hope to be in this world because that's all you really have at the end of the day is your head and your heart. Yeah, and you, and, you, and you need to do that because you can't live your life in denial and repressing yourself. What? And someone who cares about you shouldn't want you to do that either. Right. Yeah, so now I just kind of go with the flow. And, I mean, eventually I don't want to work my day job. Maybe I will get that script out. Well, it's funny, like, you're talking about being creative or whatever and writing scripts or whatever. The one script that, like, I've had in my mind, it's feels kind of silly to write about now. Like, I've had it in my mind for, like, two years. It's called Off the Grid. No, you, should, you should write it. <laughs> no, it sounds so stupid with the pandemic going on now because, like, basically, I mean, everybody's, like, in lockdown, and this this is about people going off the grid and... You know what? It sounds good. You should, you should definitely still write it because say that it was finished now mm-hmm. and you started getting raised money for it. And then you're looking at a shoot when the pandemic's viable to film, like maybe just say, even move ahead of the time period, uh, the time print, and say you shoot in March. Mm-hmm. And you finish in, you know, April, and then you go into post, and then you finish post hopefully in six months. And by the end of the year, that would be the early, end of next year, the earliest you've been able to get that out. Long after the pandemic's gone, people know what it's like, but it's started to drift away from that. 
And it's a perfect opportunity to bring back a horror where suspense thriller where people know what it's like, but have almost forgotten. And then you even tweak it a little bit more to bring in that element that is exactly why we're making, you know, when you're making movies, you're telling stories, you're like, why are you telling the story? Why are you making this movie? And it's like, because we got something to say. (laughs) (laughs) I have an idea of the same where one of my stories has revolved around being in lockdown during a pandemic. Yeah. All the political stuff going on in the background. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to still kind of figure Mm. out the the fun out of it, but the idea was that at least for a significant portion of this one character, he doesn't really say anything. All the dialogue is coming from what he's watching in the middle of the lockdown. Oh, that's and unique. So the being told by his behavior because there's no one for him to talk to. But, you know, come out love. Love makes the world go round. That it does. Um, now, what is one thing you would like everybody to know to go uh, to watch Beast Mode? One thing to know by going... Or what would you like people to take away from watching Beast Mode? That's better way to word it. <laughs> um, I guess if anything, I want them to to, to walk away with a satisfying, like a satisfaction, kind of like you ate a really great meal and feel really good afterwards. I want them to come not not content, but extremely satisfied, beyond satisfied, like. Uh, blissful. That's what I want people to take away from this. I want them to take away bliss. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe with a tang of Louisiana hot sauce. <laughs> with a little tang of, of Louisiana hot sauce. A little bit of beautiful, horrific <laughs> bliss. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> with a splash of hot sauce. <laughs> Louisiana style. Well, I want to thank you so much for doing this. All right. Greetings, gentle folk. This is James DeVille, and you're listening to Lacey Lou on Cut to the Chase. Thank you so much. Is it cut to the chase or cut to the chase? Cut to the chase. <laughs> okay, so I got it. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs>